So we were we were in chapter four, and I'm trying to remember if we finished it. We did. You didn't want to get into five because we didn't have much time left. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to admit I can't resist backing up a bit for verse sixteen of chapter four. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For the slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. That has comforted me a lot through the years. So verse of chapter 5, and Ed, I think you didn't read last week, so would you read verses 1 to 5? Five, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Through five, right? Through verse five, right. Okay. Now we know that this earthly body is like a tent or a hospital gown that wears out easily that leaves us un- leaves us exposed. And if this earthly body, which our individuality currently occupies, is destroyed, we have an eternal body that will never wear out, a heavenly dwelling place for our individuality, but not built by human hands. Meanwhile, the older we get, the more we've grown. That's true. Longing to be free of this deteriorating body, to be clothed in our perfect heavenly body. Because when we have exchanged this mortal body for our heavenly one, we will not be found sick, dying, and exposed. For while we are in this collapsing tent, we groan with the burden of aging and slow decay. We don't want to die to be rid of this worn-out body, but we want to be... Translated directly into our heavenly body, so that what is normal, uh, morally, not be swallowed up by the external life. God's intended for us has never changed. God's intention for us has never changed. He created us to live eternally, and for the first phase of our restoration, has given us the spirit to heal our minds, guaranteeing our future complete recreation. That's the expanded version of the Yes, the expanded, the commentary version. All right. It's interesting that he uses the hospital gown. I wonder if I that's... I thought so, too. <laughs> yeah. well, we are usually exposed in a hospital exactly. gown. Exactly. <laughs> but it's consistent with his whole uh, theme healing, of, healing. of sin being a, a disease. Yeah. So. yeah. I just wonder if that's permissible by the tent earthly tent yeah. and certainly you know the way the Bedouins today use tents uh-huh. they're intended to conceal they're not intended to expose mm-hmm. but if they start wearing out of course they will expose right. what's going on it strikes me that Paul understands God's will not just to forgive our sins but to thoroughly get rid of our sins. And this is his work, not ours. But it's it, he wants to treat the whole person, in which, of course, fits Adventist theology of holism very well. And that verse 5, that God's intention for us has never changed, which is really nice. Yeah, that's his way of translating guarantee. Yeah. We weren't really designed for time or decay or pain or going through all Suffering. this stuff. Yeah. I guess my cynical self is I just kind of wondering uh, I guess there's other worlds and creatures and stuff so are they kind of enjoying this? Is watching this? This is getting to be too much really. 
I don't think they enjoy, enjoy it at all. You know, how much proof do they need? I mean, you look at history down through time, it's just... Well, you know... I guess part of it is it depends on who's proving what to whom. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that it's proving... I'm not sure that proving something is, is where we are, though I, I recognize that we suffer much like Job, who had to prove a point. Um, and Job, I really think Job is kind of a, a type of what God's people will go through before Jesus comes. But the way I see it is that God does not want to interrupt our business down here and just come back arbitrarily, right? The way I, I was kind of taught when I grew up, especially in my teens, it seemed that God was kind of playing hide-and-seek with us and saying, here I come, ready or not, um, just unexpectedly, because you know not the hour, and therefore it's going to be unexpected. But, but almost the idea that God will just come whenever he arbitrarily chooses. And I don't see God as, as working that way. I don't see him as just... Well, I've had it with you guys. Here I come. You're not ready. You're still running for home base. That's tough. Uh, you're out. I, I just have a hard time with that picture of God. And in fact, when I was in my early 20s, I wrote an article for Insight Magazine in which I talked about that picture of God and, and tried to suggest something different, which basically is that in Revelation 14, you have the ripening of the grain and the ripening of the grapes. And what I what I think has to happen is that everybody has to make up their mind that can make up their mind. Of course you always have new babies being born and and people losing their minds and that sort of thing. I don't think that God is concerned about that so much, but he wants the world to make up their mind and to have enough evidence to make up an intelligent make an intelligent choice. And there's no greater evidence than to have evil get really mature and righteousness get really mature. In other words, to see the whole, the whole thing play out and reach its maturation point. It makes, it makes it so much clearer so that people can make an intelligent decision. And then when it's done, when it is finished, he will come back. Now, I know this, <laughs> I'm taking a bit of risk. I know this sounds a little bit like LGT theology. And I, I think that the LGT theology has, has, has taken things that do not make sense, especially their emphasis on Jesus as having a sinful nature and, or a nature just like ours. And, and their emphasis on him uh, on us having to vindicate God's character. I think only God can vindicate himself. So I, that there may be other things we have to answer to. We may have to answer for ourselves, like Job. But I don't, I don't really side with the LGT community, never have. But I, I've tried to work this through just the scripture, trying to understand and just say what day. LGT is, so there's no confusion. Yes, um, the last generation theology. <laughs> the last generation theology is the LGT. Well, I wasn't thinking so much about how, 
Let me do it. My thinking was is talking about God has been accused. And so he couldn't make just an arbitrary decision like you're talking about. I just well, I'll just finish this and get rid of that. Um, so he's been accused. So what's his concern about? I've been accused? Or is his concern about what everybody else thinks, all these other worlds and stuff? The, the thing. And so I'm wondering, well, all these other worlds... How much do they have to realize that the I, accusation I don't, doesn't make yeah, sense? See, I, I don't see that quite the same way. I know, so I, I, I understand the other part the, the because thing, otherwise you're left with the thing what is, are they doing up there? Has the, it been? The thing is, God isn't just being accused and he's trying to protect his reputation. And my, so my students get a little uptight with me when I start talking about God's vindication and that sort of thing. They, they feel it sounds selfish. God has to vindicate himself, not because he's claimed to be arbitrary by Satan, because he isn't arbitrary. Right. And, and it's important that we see the truth about him. So there has to be this playoff. I'll, I'll give you a, an answer by way of a story. Larry Cavanis, who used to be president of the Southern California Conference, before that, he was president of Nevada, Utah. Before that, he was secretary of the Northern California Conference. And he's director of Northern California. Oh, was he? I, I didn't know his previous history beyond that. Where um, was he born? Oh, just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Ohio. <laughs> you know him? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, no, I don't know that he was born in Ohio. That's where he, he died. Yeah, he died a few years ago. Um, but um, yeah, I worked for him at Leonie Meadows for six oh, years. Okay. Well, he, his son, Tad, you probably know this story. His son, Tad, passed away from Neiman-Pick disease, which is a neurological disease that wastes the muscles um, and finally takes the life. And uh, only a few months after Tad died, he preached a sermon and told his story at the PUC church. And I was able to get copies of it. For years, I just used a tape cassette because that's what the PUC church had. And I used it in my God and Human Suffering class because in it he tells his story of wrestling with God and just actually lashing out at God. Uh, why don't you do something? Why do you stand with your hands in your pockets? Don't you know your world is suffering? Uh, and, and he wound up in the car. This is after a night where he had to, something like 12 or 15 times, he had to give his son a chin lift so he could not swallow his tongue so he could breathe and every time he begged God to heal him or lay him to rest or do something and there was no answer so he's in the car pounding on the steering wheel crying out to God crying the tears pouring down his face and finally he's out of tears and he's out of anything to say and he just sits there and he said it was as if God opened the door of the car and got in and sat beside him. And he said, Larry, you're right. The world needs something to change. My children are hurting. You're right about that. And I know how you feel at losing your son. I know how, I know what it feels like to lose your son. I had to watch my son die. And it hurt me so much 
that I blackened the heavens. I rent the earth with an earthquake. I rent the veil in the temple. I sent lightning and thunder. It hurt to watch my son die. He said, but Larry, every time I intervene with a miracle, I put the mask on Satan's face so that you cannot see how awful sin is. He said, if if I keep putting the mask on Satan's face or by intervening, then nobody can make a good intelligent decision. You can't make an intelligent decision. And he said, Larry, you will get through this and you will make an intelligent decision. Either you will hate me or you will hate sin but you will no longer be on the fence. I throw that out to my students and say, okay, what do you think of it? Some of them don't like it. A lot of them will talk about Larry, but they won't talk about what God said to him. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to deal with that. I think they struggle with that. We don't, we don't want to suffer. and we, we shun suffering like there's no tomorrow or that there is a tomorrow. We don't like it. And I'm, I'm finding this to be very true in my own life. I'm, I'm really speaking to myself. It's hard for me to take that kind of news. And I think part of this whole process is remembering that there's actually more to this than just God vindicating his character. If the plan was once that the universe as a whole could see that, that he was right and Satan was wrong... Uh, and that at that point everything sinful would be simply just destroyed and we start over again, then that could have happened at the cross. Mm-hmm. But God doesn't want to just destroy everything. He wants to actually to restore. Uh, and so that is what's been yeah. going on yeah. since then. And I don't See, entirely understand what all's involved with needing to do that. But that is the last 2,000 years has been what's been making it possible for those of us who choose to love God and to hate sin, to be able to actually then return. My critical self, though, says, what about those that have not chosen? So you have a bigger number that are lost totally forever. No, no, I, I don't see it that way. I see that anybody who puts their trust in God and remains faithful to Him is safe to save, even though they might not have reached the level of understanding that the final, that final people will. What, it, it came to me last night, I was actually wrestling with this, and it came to me that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of learning to do. And you think of the thief of the cross, he doesn't know very much. <laughs> uh, you think of, of the heathen who are going to be there. Uh, they don't know very much. There's going to have to be a lot of learning. And who better to educate than the people who have gone the full gamut mm-hmm. of the process? Because it, this isn't a matter of getting a stamp. You can go to heaven. There's a process that involves the mind. And only those who would be happy in heaven, who would, who would be able to grow up in heaven and, and learn all the things they need to know, 
can be there. So Satan's got a tremendous plan. If he's dulling people, being unable to make choices and to think things through, so we can... Yeah, he's just trying to destroy the whole generation yeah. that we're teaching. Right. And it's not just in America or the West, it's happening in other countries. And... And have they have have they blamed it on uh, social media and digital media? Well, like last week we mentioned about the social score China is really using, and yeah. you know, dumbing down the population to really understand what's going on about them. So, so I I, I think I try to understand what you're saying about the uh, reconstruction and the process. And I, and I believe that, too. It's just so hard to understand the process of reconstructing because it appears as if it's just continuing, growing darkness in the world. So that means whoever is saved... But, but you know, I, and here's what I think God is... We have to look at God's plan in this thing. His plan is that when He can, when there's enough people that can... Witness to the light instead of the darkness. That light is going to shine so boldly and so clearly yeah. that the world can see both that dark and that light. Ever, ever been to a jewelry store and seen how they, when you're looking at diamonds, do they have them on a white background? No. They have them on a pitch black background because that really shows off the thing. So I, I see the same thing here as far as you're yeah. saying, as the world gets darker and darker, yeah. that those who are following God will actually stand out I have, further and further. And it just brings that contrast even more to the fore uh, between... I, I have to realize, sides. I have to remind myself daily, and I don't do a good job of that daily part, but I have to remind myself when I get really down on my students that I'm really dealing with a handful of students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not dealing with all my students. A lot of my students are engaged and eager and... and they want to do well. They want to yeah, do what is I right. too. Most of them are good kids. They yeah. really are. Yeah. And we, it's just that the ones that didn't do well before are just more overt and lying more and cheating more and, and yeah. all of that. They're the ones that make trouble at the yeah. end. I, I remember when I announced that cheating was getting really bad here on campus and what was going on, and I had students looking at me in horror. <laughs> you know, they, were, they would never do that, you know, kind of thing. It isn't a lot, total lost cause. It, it sounds like it, we, because we chafe under some of the problems we have. Just that the research is just showing such big numbers. It is. Anxiety and fear, oh, suicide. Yeah. Anxiety and fear in the campuses since '85 has jumped 60 percent. Mm -hmm. It's not related to more studies or fear about studies and that sort of things. It's all the other stuff in the world, right? And that's a huge jump. And we're, and we're told in the Bible, hearts failing them for fear. And the 20 to 30 year olds now, we know that their generation will live at a less standard of living than the current generations. They cannot make enough money to pay their debts. And the decision-making that they're making isn't helping them to make a living. Mm. And the cost of living is, is so out of whack. Oh, it's terrible. And, you know, all across this country, it's just... I went to, to buy a prescription recently. 
the my, the copay had doubled. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. what? So uh, I can understand then why the devil wants to keep us so discouraged and confused and unknown and and uh, struggling with God and questioning, you know, what are you doing up there? But yeah. Fortunately, he's giving us Holy Spirit information. <laughs> well, we got through one paragraph. One paragraph. What was the title or anything else? Uh, give my theory about Go ahead. the world. Oh, well, I don't think God's depending on us. I mean, yes, he's given us a commission to preach the gospel, but um, ultimately I don't think we have a touch and go reason why Jesus doesn't come back. Um I think we're part of it, and I think the whole uh, perspective of of, um, of the world, of recreation, like you mentioned, uh, is part of that. And when I studied um, human geography at my first year at university in Australia, I was in 1990, and um, I remember we were looking at projected reports uh, from secular you know, worldview projected that the earth would run out of resources by the year 2015 and there would be wars over water and, and this. So I, I remember thinking, you know, in my lifetime that this was going to take place. And uh, I started to, uh, I, I guess, develop a perspective from studying at a secular institution that, uh, yes, the world would come to an end, even through seemingly natural causes, and that this was part of God showing the consequences or effects of sin yeah. is self-destruction. Yes. And God knows that we're a part of this. And He know, And I don't yeah. think he throws us out there to suffering. Yes, we taste suffering, but I feel like following Jesus Christ, we have an abundance of blessing and goodness that flows to us um, that kind of uh, it, it, it helps us deal with those difficulties of life which which is indicated in the fact that 2015 has come and gone and we're, we're not quite running out of water yes yes but every year it gets worse it's yes. the time of fulfillment of all things i think i think it's going to show that this world this is what humans in a you know sinful state and yeah. satan has led this world right. is complete destruction i agree and that's why the Bible says in Matthew, you know, woe to those who are living in that time because yeah. it's just... It's a terrible time. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. The thing that I have to... Well, I've been going up and down the hill a lot, giving me a lot of time with nothing to do but steer the car. <laughs> and press the pedals. And press the pedals. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully I'm pressing the pedals, right? At the right time. But I've been I've been nurturing my emotional intelligence uh, by playing music that comforts me, you know. Because with my mom facing the end of her life and um, all the things going on in my life, it's helpful. So I I've been playing um, some old hymns by that have been sung by. Um, Merle Wilson. I don't know if you know Merle. Personally. She was raised in Australia. She had a very difficult upbringing, which I, I won't go into. But she she cut three records back in the day when you had 33 and 
a third RPM <laughs> records. Uh, she cut three of them. I had had one of them, and I had an old-style cassette tape that I originally had a player for, but I ended up having to give all that away. She gave me, without charging me a dime, all three of those on CD. Mm-hmm. Her son, Bob Wilson, who works in, in uh, the coffee center and mailroom, uh, made CDs off of those records for other people, and she gave me a set. And they're mostly songs that are comforting and sustaining and upbuilding and mm-hmm. nurturing and all of those things. So I've been playing those as I go back and forth, especially after I'm done and I breathe a heavy-hearted sigh and start up the hill. I put one of those on and listen to it. And I have to I have to do that. I have to be deliberate about and intentional about nurturing my inward body that is wasting I mean my outward body is wasting away. I need to nurture that too, but I especially need to nurture my inward body uh, to make sure that as I go through this you might say the valley of the shadow of death that I'm going through it, yeah. That that I'm going through it in God's arms and God's strength and God's love and, and care, and not in, on my own. Otherwise, I'll just harden myself and cause all kinds of damage um, to doing that. So it's been very comforting and very sustaining to do that. And sometimes I put Wintley Phipps on. He's there's a song he's written called Always. And that I really like. And it's on the CD I have in my car. That's a beautiful testimony, Jean. So, let's close with that. Dear God, we thank you that as the world deepens in tragedy and sorrow and immorality and decadence and in darkness, you are the light of our lives. You are our constant when everything around us is changing. Help us not to forsake that light or look away from it even for a moment, but to keep our eyes fixed on it and on you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.